The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your speaker today. Every believer needs to understand who they are in Christ in our new series, Identity Theft. We'll do just that. Help each believer truly know who they are in Christ. Thank you for joining us. We welcome our listeners to the Identity Matters podcast. This is number 156, just in our Identity Matters series. But we do all these little sub-series within the Identity Matters overall series, and our title tonight is called The Millennial Generation, Part 8. Anytime God does not take your life and is put in a position of allowing you to take your life, it's murder. So suicide is an external temper tantrum. After realizing that few love the victim and that humans cannot meet the deep need of needing to be loved. Do you know the more you're loved, the more you want to be loved? Do you know that? It's endless. Do you know that the less you're loved, the less you'll demand to be loved? Hmm. There might be some Bible verses in here. First John tells us that God is love, and any other form or hunt for love is selfish love. Suicide is the outward reaction to that particular reality. Statistics show us that almost 90% of surviving victims, this is the one that and survived it, or put a bullet in their head like my, my buddy in Colorado Springs and didn't blow off the side of his face, but didn't die. Okay, that's this here. 90% of the surviving victims, or even the dead ones, got the job done, were known for throwing temper tantrums when they were children, externally or internally. So what you have here is an adult temper tantrum of saying, I'm not being loved the way I want to be loved. Any human will pick selfish love over God's love any day, any hour of that day. God's love does not take care of you. It doesn't satisfy you. Or me. Or we would not go other places to get it. So we preach about it, talk about it, write books about it. But honestly speaking, we really don't believe that His love satisfies. And the reason is, it's not in us. 
And if we do have the indwelling life of Jesus inside of us, we have God inside of us. That's a 602 if you're one of these anti-triune God people. But if you have God living in you, in his definition, his title is love, God is love, then having the indwelling life of Christ in you is the fulfilling person that will breathe through you to be satisfied by his life, not by his love. We are going into another era of demanding our kind of love. You say, no, we, we went through that in the 60s. No, we did not. This new millennial Jesus is going to form a new kind of love that is going to be logical, neutral, and very effective. It's an antichrist love. Because true love does not satisfy us unless we have the indwelling life of Jesus. And it's not something he does for you. Oh, Jesus loves me, and I know we sing songs about it. He is love. And his very existence inside of us, and then starting to come out through our, our feet and our hands and our brains and our, ear, our eyes and, our, and on and on, we are experiencing his love and then become satisfied. But anytime you section off God like he's some kind of uh, shopping center, you're going to have some serious problems. God will not love you the way you want to be loved. I promise you that, and he'll let you kill yourself and throw a nice temper tantrum into the coffin. He does it every day. He will not step up and say, Oh, I'll love you that way. I'll take care of you. It isn't about him taking care of us. If that was the case, these characters in the Bible were lied to. Because their circumstances were not showing that God loved them. Their circumstances were showing that God did not care about them. But see, I know the richness and the depth of truth, and that is, it was the life of Jesus inside them that satisfied him. It wasn't that he loved them. His love isn't for me, for Pete's sake. His love is for the unsaved. Once you're saved and indwelt, you are identified as love. That's one of the fruits that you, you shall know them by their love. Well, you shall know them by God. That's what it's saying. You don't continue to demand to be loved like the unsaved. It becomes a problem. Suicide is the adult version of give me what I want or I'll kill myself. You ever heard a kid say to his mommy, they're just pitching a fit, I hate you. Or I hate myself. And about that time you should say, excellent. Because I hate you too. There is power in hate. And I'm going to show you that here. There's power in it. Jesus said, I hate. 
Remember in Revelation chapter 3? I hate the deeds of Nicholas. And I will spit that church out of my mouth because of that hatred. Then Jesus goes on and he says this confusing stuff about, oh, let's just look at it. He says, John 12, 25, He who loves his life loses it. Loses it. Now, let's just keep it in context. He who loves his life will commit suicide. <laughs> if you, for one moment, think that those suicidal people hated themselves, you do not know your Bible. They are in love with themselves. That's why I love the book that my Sunday school teacher wrote called Suicide, the Illicit Lover. And if you're getting our weekly emails, that's what our Monday series is about, is, is, is John Stevens, who was a banker. John Stevens was writing about his own experience of having a love affair with Satan himself, flesh. And where it basically took him is losing his life. So he who loves his life will lose it. He who what? Hates his life. Look up the Greek. It's hate. It's not, they didn't find an English word to kind of throw in there to say this. It's hate. If you ever read any translation that doesn't use the term hate, I would go ahead and throw that translation away. It's hate. He who hates his life will what? He who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. Hate is very powerful and it's needed. Most indwell Christians neglect to see the need for hatred. When you really hate something... You want to die to escape its hold on you. Excellent. The little kid wants to die. So you pull that child aside and you say, I want you to know for you to hate yourself, take them to the Bible even if they don't know how to read. And you read it to them and say, well, he who loves his life is going to end up losing it. Something's going to happen to you. But if you hate yourself, you're going to end up finding eternal life. And that is Jesus. These are birth pangs for your born-again experience with Jesus. Go ahead, hate yourself. It's an excellent thing to do. Well, if you heard a parent talking like that in a shopping mall, the, the child's going to be hauled off to new parents, and the parents going to be hauled <laughs> off to, uh, you know, to jail. Oh, we live in a complete opposite society that, that uh, was prepared for us originally. So hatred is just as important as love. After all, it is hatred that becomes the pathway to new life that ultimately preserves us. He who hates you has hated me first. Jesus said that. He, you know, this, this, this verse that he gave me this week, he's saying it's, it's okay. It's, it's a part of the deal. And that's how this sermon was born. This, this was not on my agenda this week. This is required to experience the overflow of Jesus' life. And a part of that formula is 
hatred, insults, persecution, distress, for Christ's sake, when you're weak. Stephen, then you're strong. So for me to even type that, I went, oh, this is crazy. Am I really... Am I really going to put that in a slide? <laughs> you know, we need hatred. If Jesus said we do, probably should keep that intact to the <coughs> true gospel of Jesus Christ. When we look at another passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 8, it says this. <coughs> I love this. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Excellent. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves. Anything coming from ourselves. But our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of the new covenant. Not to the letter, but to the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So all of you who have tampered with suicide, you know exactly what I'm talking about here. The enemy is standing off in the shadows, and he's using the letter of the law on you. You're a failure. Everyone hates you. You see, but what he's really doing, and I hope you stay with me on this, this, this literally could change your life forever. He's speaking the truth to you. And all you have to do, instead of fighting the letter of the law, all you have to do is let it crucify you and die. And that's what happened to John Stevens on that gravel road. The Spirit stepped in and showed him this and said, just die. Go ahead. Die, but you don't have to take the body. And both Jane and I, we were talking about John the other day. and Best Sunday school teacher we have ever had in our entire lives. Everything that came out of that man's mouth, it, it just shook you a little bit. Why? Because he knew. You sign up, you agree with it, you say, yes, I do hate myself. Thank you. Yes, I am inadequate. Uh, nothing comes from me is adequate. Excellent. Next. You see, that's a complete different way to war against the enemy. So he uses the letter of law to kill you, but he can't pull the trigger. If you think Satan can take your life, you're not reading your Bible. He has to set you up to pull the trigger, or he has to set someone else up to pull the trigger on you. He doesn't have the power to do that. He has the power to manipulate the world's events to get that done. Or we'd all be dead. <laughs> See what I'm saying? He wants you to pull the trigger and then laugh at God and say, wow, that was a strong one for you. Give me another one of your weak children.
for Christ's sake. It's happening, folks, around us every day. People are hearing these whispers and they're buying into it the wrong way. It's because they're fighting it. Your life is worthless if you love your mother and father and brother and sister more than Jesus. It's worthless. It's not even worth the hay and stubble to keep his hands warm. That's the reality. Our worthiness comes from Christ being worthy. And only one way I know of to enter into that worthiness is through the indwelling life of Jesus. We don't love others because of it. We are his love. And it just happens. So, in closing with this verse, he makes the comparison, literally, of Israel having to go through the same kinds of things to be broken down in order to embrace the real Christ. Israel isn't even there yet. So God doesn't want his glory spilt out on the ground. He wants it like Jack's legs touching the blue brick road now and igniting the, t the, the power within Jack. The power in the pathway of God igniting and there was a miracle that resulted. That's what's being talked about here. That glory is radiated power. Well, we have to deal with this issue of adequacy. So seriously, we are not adequate in ourselves to consider anything. Or we could put that in the form of a question. Really? Is there? I know that without a doubt what we just read is absolutely true. The victims of suicide are, were, trapped in the lie that something good should come from their inner man. But it's just not happening. So I'm just going to go ahead and pull this trigger. As with all humans, saved or not, the basis of all flesh is inadequacy. Not realizing, of course, that inadequacy is the primary component needed for kicking a lover, flesh, out of your temper tantrum. You're going to continue to throw a temper tantrum until the lover is removed from the mix. And that's why it ultimately leads to you pulling the trigger. you got to toss the lover out. Suicide is an illicit lover. you got to toss the lover out. So your moment in suicide, folks, those of you who are warring with it, is when you have just a split second of taking a deep breath of what am I going to do now, toss the lover out of your bedroom. And you won't commit adultery. Toss the lover out of your bedroom and you won't commit idolatry. And suicide is, a, is the behavior that results itself from idolatry. God, you are impotent. I'm going to go the route of this other God. 
And that's when Satan goes, yes, another one bites the dust. And there's a lot of them biting that dust every day. Problem? Millennials take pride in the fact that they are the adequate generation. That's a quote, unquote. Secondly, God wants us feeling inadequate every time we, we lean toward attempting to find something good in our inner man. That is outside of the indwelling life of Jesus. Well, if there's no indwelling Jesus in you, there is no adequacy in you. Nothing good resides in your flesh. Jesus is a jealous God. We all know that, or should. And he wants nothing or any person to get in the way of his relationship with his bride. And inadequacy is a wonderful word. It's like hatred. If anyone ever calls you inadequate, thank them dearly. Because you are. And if someone does find some adequacy in you, you don't have to attach it to Jesus. Don't you get annoyed by those people that go, Oh, it's all because of Jesus. I just, you know, Jesus. Just compliment Jesus. I sent a text to someone the other day, and that's what this person did. Oh, just thank Jesus. Jesus is all because of Jesus. Jesus wanted to do it. I said, you know, you're not very secure in your identity. Because every time you compliment me, I'm going to say, thank you, you're right. Because you're speaking to the Christ in me. <coughs> Whatever you do unto the least of these, my brethren, you are doing unto him. It works both ways. Rejection and compliment. So thank you. Grow up. Because see, that's what has to happen. I, we got to step out of finding our, our, our identity in what's not true about us. And that's a phase we go through with the exchange life. We find our identity in, in the things that are not true about us. Oh, that's not true about me. Only Christ. And we do this little mantra thing to, to get the exchange life going. And, and it's, it's kind of a phase we all go through. It's a milky phase. And, and God wants to get us to the point of saying, wouldn't you like a great steak tonight, Shannon? With mushrooms on it? I'm like, yes! Well, see, that is the meat of the gospel. Is, you reject me, you're rejecting him. You love on me, you're, you're loving on him. You compliment, you, and it works both ways. But our flesh is horribly insecure, to say the least. So the millennials today have this attitude, I will not be a slave to anyone. Just the statistics that she read on the airplane is basically saying that I will not be a slave to anyone. No one's going to own me. No boss. No pastor. They're not going to own me. Well, I got news for you at 602-292-2982. Satan owns you. And you somehow are buying into this ecumenical thought that there's no hell. We were at a program the other night and 
whoever was behind this whole thing took hell out of the out of the gospel creed, the apostles' creed. I'm like, really? What the hell happened to hell? Because <laughs> that's an important word. <coughs> and that's what they did is they just caged this thing in the pit of hell. And they used the term Jesus went into his grave. He did not! He, he did not! That is a lie. And what gave you the right to change the Apostles' Creed? That's like changing the Constitution of the United States. Oh, I don't like that word. Get another word, committee? Oh, that's a good one. Want to vote on that? That's a good one. We'll, we'll place freedom of religion, change it to freedom of Christianity. The, and these people, these people don't even realize they're like that. They're taking the sting of hatred out of the world. We need it. Hate me, hate them. We have to be in the middle of hatred to discover the true love of God, who is God in the form of Jesus Christ, who came to indwell us. But see, we're never called to use hatred as a weapon. So you can't go around saying, well, I, I, I hate my brother and sister because they just don't love me. No, hatred has a powerful, has a powerful mission connected to it and it needs to stay within that mission. So a lot of the millennial teachings are neutralizing those powerful truths. Here's our identity matter statement for today. Personally, as your teacher, I believe that the reference of Paul stating the ministry of death is the same topic we're dealing with tonight about suicide, an illicit lover. Since to die is to gain, it is the ministry of death in and around suicide that we find new life. And here's John literally at, in heaven today. Lived a, really a respectable, well-lived life after his experience. And he knows this is all true. By daily breathing. Whereas I have to sell you on this. I'm also aware that 2% of you got what was preached tonight and the rest of you are going to wander around with it like marbles in your head. It'll rattle and make all kinds of noise, but I'm here to tell you it's going to drive you nuts because you didn't get it. So here's what I'm suggesting for you. Call upon the Holy Spirit within you if you're indwelt. If you're not into, well, call upon the Holy Spirit to get you saved. To become born again. So you'll bleed Christ's blood. Call upon the Holy Spirit to bring you understanding. If you're unsaved, there's only one mission the Lord has for you, and that is to convert you. If you're saved and you have the indwelling life of Jesus... There's still only one mission for you. It's to get you out of the way in your th stupid thoughts 
an analysis of what you think God says when God's the only one that knows and understands the meaning of what he says. And it's going to take a dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit within us, Christ within us, to understand. So we're in the same spot as the unsaved people. But if you want to be one of these illogical, logical people walking around the earth trying to figure it out and memorizing Bible verses and reading Christian book one after the next to try to figure out what's the hottest thing on Christianity that you could learn about, then go ahead and get dizzy. But ultimately, I pray this day that these marbles drive you nuts. And you feel mindless at the end of your rope so that you are broken and then there's this sweet release upon that moment when god sees feels and experiences our sorrow and our our inadequacy and our 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 burden and our whatever we're feeling in the in the deepest darkest spot in our life you need to understand god is well content with you there he doesn't pull out. He will not answer your prayers to remove, remove persecution, insults, distresses. and all. He leaves them there. Paul realized that, so he was able to say, Therefore, I am well content with insults, persecutions, with distresses, or stress with difficulties, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak then I am strong. Christ didn't yank a single item out. Do you know that Paul wrote that 91 years after Jesus died? If you open up your Bibles and you have red letter edition, you'll see the only red letters 91 years after Jesus' death, which means it came out of his mouth. Jesus showed up to Paul because he was in a very dark place and he said my grace is sufficient for you now you think they would have had a dialogue and Paul could have written several chapters on him now my grace my unmerited favor is sufficient for you Paul in other words, get up and quit throwing a temper tantrum. That is exactly how I read that passage. Stop this. Because the conclusion at, after several verses after that is, therefore I am well content. And he kind of seals the deal. Please don't be insulted by my directness about your temper tantrums. Please be blessed by them. It's just like a parent doesn't throw his child into a trash can after they throw a temper tantrum. The parent typically knows this is part of childhood. Them going from milk to meat. And once that happens, then you can expect something a little different from that person. Most of us treat even our children as if they are adults. And I actually see less in the adults than I do in the children. 
That's hypocrisy. Go ahead, pressure your children, pressure yourself, pressure your pastor, pressure your mother, your father, your brother or your sister to be a Christian when they're not. Let's see how well that works for you. But I will tell you this, you will insult the living God by expecting someone you know deep down inside is unsaved. And you expect them and you talk to them like they are a Christian. You can only treat a brother or sister in Christ who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit as a fellow believer. You've been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, thank you for joining us.